Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Glenn. Good morning. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, I would invite you to turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 17. That's page something or other in your pew Bible. I should have checked, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, the Davison Free Methodist Church is one of the, uh, really one of the premier places among uh, people called Free Methodist in this part of the country, and it's a pleasure to be here. You've, got, you've, had, a, you've had a succession of wonderful, great pastors, uh, your current pastor, no exception. And how about the new reverend? Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. So uh, a great pleasure and delight to, to be here and have this opportunity to uh, share with you. And uh, I mean, really, the honor is all mine. So John's Gospel, chapter 17. Um, how about that Jesus? Huh? I mean, clearly, yeah, that would be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time, you know, old-time free Methodists probably wouldn't have clapped, you know, but they would have waved a hanky or something or maybe run around or something and and uh, that would be cool. That would be great. But clearly, one of the most incredible persons in all of human history, uh, it's impossible, really. I mean, even people who are not people of faith would, I mean, most would acknowledge it's, it's virtually impossible to conceive of the world as we now know it, apart from the incredible impact of the person of Jesus. And even persons of another faith or of no faith would be quick to grant that in the person of Jesus there is a kind of moral and spiritual authority. So maybe she wouldn't call him Lord. Maybe he wouldn't acknowledge him as Savior, but still a person of of immense insight and wisdom and worthy of respect and honor. That Jesus, who is so much more for us, that Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross to give his life for the world, that Jesus, none other than he, prayed for his own. And not only for his own then, but his own now. And I'm wanting in these next several moments to invite you to join me in marveling over the fact that Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for you. Right now. Now in this 17th chapter of John's Gospel, we we get in some insight into specifically what it is that Jesus is praying for us as a fellowship, a fellowship of followers of his. And we're going to break into the prayer at verse 20, John 17, verse 20, where Jesus continues to pray, my, my prayer is not for them alone, not only for the disciples, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, 
to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me and I have made known to them and will continue to make known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Amen. I suspect you're like me. I appreciate it greatly when people pray for me. All during my life, I've been blessed by the significant people in my life uh, and their prayers, their prayer support. My parents and my brothers and their families, my wife and my children and and uh, soon, well, even already, my grandchildren, who are just wee little people, uh, but uh, they pray for Nana and Papa. And incredibly, there are people in lots of places, even around the world, it just blows our minds, who uh, tell us on a regular basis, you know, we pray for you. It's a tremendous blessing. And, and, and I've never met anybody that I've, I've come to know, either I've already known or I've come to know, who... who, who uh, maybe as we're, we're about to part, we'll say, well, by the way, um, whatever you do, don't pray for me. I mean, nobody has ever said that. It's a tremendous blessing that, that uh, people are praying for us and supporting us. They have our backs spiritually. They're calling the resources of heaven down on, on our behalf. What a, what a wonderful thing. Well, can you believe that the living Lord Jesus, with grave-busting power, is praying for us every day. Our circumstances, our situations, our challenges are on his prayer list. It's the general teaching of the New Testament. Hebrews 7.25 says, Our great high priest, referring to Jesus, ever lives to intercede for us. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Rome that when we don't know even the words that we ought to pray uh, but we know we should pray. The Spirit of Jesus comes alongside and helps us and gives us, gives us the, makes our, our inarticulate groaning. Sometimes all we know to do is just groan. Somehow the Spirit of Jesus takes those groans and translates them in ways that, that make connection um, in the courts of heaven before our Father God. It's incredible. Well, here in John 17, we get, we get a, a sense of what it is that Jesus particularly focuses upon when he prays for his followers, in the, whether in the first century or the 21st century. And we have uh, this, this prayer, and prior to where we've broken in, uh, he's already mounted quite a list that he's asking on behalf of of his followers. Uh, make your glory known to them, Father, Jesus says. Care, about, care for them, even as I have cared for them. Keep them in your name. Set them apart for a great purpose. Make them a holy people on a holy mission that literally changes the world. And then, especially as we've read together, for those who will come to be his followers, for the people of the Davison Free Methodist Church or or those who have, 
who have come to check out what's going on among uh, the Davis and Free Methodist people. For them too, I have a special prayer, he says to his father. Make them one so that the world might believe, Father, that you sent me. Yes, verse 23, make them completely one. The, the literal word there is perfectly one as we are, Father, so that the world would know that you sent me, so that the world would know that among them, the love that is evident between us, Holy Father, would be also evident and at work in powerful way among them. So more specifically, every day, all the time, unceasingly, Jesus prays like this for us. Now often, what Jesus does and the way Jesus does it surprises us. In fact, if you're acquainted with his story, almost everything Jesus did, and, the, and especially the way Jesus went about it, surprised everybody. He didn't do anything. He, did, he was off script nearly all the time. And so here now, he doesn't pray as, at least I would imagine he would pray. He doesn't say, Holy Father, would I, please, 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 Lord, help these folks not to embarrass you. He doesn't pray, Holy Father, good grief for heaven's sake, just work so that they don't turn out to be just a bunch of hypocrites. He doesn't pray, Oh, Father, would you do a great work so that the whole world would be converted? He doesn't even pray that way. He doesn't pray, Holy Father, I imagine a... a a thriving, multiplying church that would embrace the whole world. Let it be, Father. He doesn't pray that way. And he doesn't even pray, Holy Father, somehow work so that your kingdom is expanded. No, instead, here's how he prays. It, it's surprising to me. He says, I want you to make them one. I want you to bring them together and do something very special in their togetherness, in their fellowship, so that the world would know that you sent me so that the world would know that the love that you have is precisely the dynamic that characterizes everything they are and everything they're about. Make them one so the world can see that. Jesus, notice, Jesus prays for us but not for us. You see that? He prays for us, but not for us, rather for the world. In this prayer, we're not really the focus. It isn't about us. It's about Jesus, and it's about the world. God so loved, not us. Well, he does. That's not how the gospel goes. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only into the world to do a work of recreation. Now, I've noticed that when there's disunity, when there's trouble in the church, not just in the church, but any human organization, when there's trouble, very often it's because somebody has begun to think it's about them. And in, in this prayer, we see very clearly 
that Jesus prays for us, but it's not for us. It's for us, for the world. Now, why does Jesus pray that way? I'd like to answer that question. I'd like to take a, take a stab at answering that question from the whole gospel story. It won't take as long as that makes it sound, so not to worry. If you've read the Gospel of John and you are acquainted with the whole Bible, and not everybody is, so uh, no penalty there. Take a deep breath. No problem. No problem whatsoever. But if, if, if maybe you have read the whole, you might notice that there's a similarity between the whole Bible as the way the Bible as an entire book begins and the way the Gospel of John begins. Both of them begin with the very same words, in the beginning. In the beginning, God did something, the whole Bible. Then in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, what's going on there? John is of the opinion. John is sure that when God sends Jesus into the world, God intends to recreate the whole world. He intends to push the reset button in a way that will renew and refresh and recreate a once very good world that somehow now has become messed up and God is not willing to let it go. He will recreate all things very good once again. And so he begins the gospel, the story of Jesus, in the way the whole human story begins. In the beginning, God, the word, was there, front and center, the primary character in the story, and this God was at work throughout the long course of human uh, history, giving light and light to all, until finally this word that was with God, that was God, this word became flesh and began to live among the likes of us, which is to say... God remedies a fallen and broken creation by entering into it and from the inside working new creation. Put another way, God works new creation by sending the world what the world needs. And Jesus, this is John's good news, Jesus is the one God sends. In whatever way the world and its people feel their need of redemption or rescue or help or recreation or a fresh start, Jesus is the one sent by God in response. The answer, the resolution to the difficulty, the dilemma is not an idea, it's not a doctrine, it's not a set of behaviors, it's not a code of conduct, it's not a secret handshake. It is a person and a presence. Jesus is God sending God's own self into God's world to meet its need. And Jesus said as much all throughout this telling of his story that we know as John's gospel, because Jesus said it again and again, I am. Whoever, whatever, here I am. Here in me, God 
is responding, resolving, renewing, recreating his world. And however it is that the people of the world, people like you and like me, experience our sense of need, however it is we experience that, and it's different, different, it comes in different ways for different people, however that is, Jesus is the one God the Father sends to respond to that need as we experience it. And so for some people, it's a sense of sinfulness, brokenness, a violation, a transgression. And for people who experience their need in that way, Jesus is the one sent as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and all of their consequences. Some people experience their need in in terms of a great a great distance between them and you know their higher power whatever whoever that may be and there's huge distance and alienation and and aloneness and for those who experience their need in that way Jesus is the one who has been sent as the point person to establish connection the one who unites heaven and earth and earth and heaven Some people are thirsty, and they don't have access to what will quench their thirst, literally their physical thirst, and then a multitude of other ways people are thirsty, and for them, Jesus is the one sent to offer living water that quenches the obvious thirst, and then all the others that are perhaps not so obvious. A lot of people today are hungry. They're hungry literally. They have a hunger that would, if not somehow satisfied, that would eat the life right out of them. And for them, Jesus is the one sent as living bread, the bread of life, true bread, true food that comes from heaven, that nourishes true life. If we experience our need in terms of disorientation and 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 perplexity, and, and cluelessness. I mean, what is one to do? How is one to live in a world that seems very, very dark? Jesus is the one sent as the light of the world. If our sense of need is in terms of loneliness, and danger, and, and peril, and, and that of a wanderer, a harassed and oppressed people, Jesus is the one sent as the good shepherd who lays down his very life for the well-being and the care and the tending of his own. If it's the confusion that comes when people lie to us and deceive us and con us and trick us, Jesus is the one sent as the way, the truth. And if it's the hopelessness and the helplessness that comes in death and dying, Jesus is the one sent as the resurrection and the life. Here I am, the Lord Jesus declares, sent to be whatever and whoever and however it is the world and its people experience their need. I am here. I am God's response. This is the good news. Ain't no need but what our God responds and the response is in the person of Jesus. It's not a teaching. It's not a doctrine. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a personal presence and power that comes 
with Jesus' own entry into our world with a design to redeem and rescue. He's the one sent to do whatever needs doing to restore and renew all things and every person. But will the world get that? Does the world have a clue about that? Do they know that this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus claimed to do? Will the world understand that it is Jesus who has been especially sent to them? Will the world understand and know that this is what Jesus' people are all about? It's not about them. It's not about where they're coming from and where they're going. It's not about what they can do. It's about Jesus, where he has come from, where he intends to go, and what he and he alone is able to do. It's not about them. It is about him. It is about Jesus. We can't make anybody believe. We've got to, we have to know that in, a, in an age where it seems like a lot's going against us and maybe the world's falling apart and I mean, maybe it is going to hell. We can't make anybody believe. We can't save anybody. We can't even save ourselves. How much less anybody else? We can't make what would be a true and authentic church dynamic and thriving. We can't bring the kingdom. We can't make it come. We can't, in ourselves, make it advance. Only Jesus can do these things. And as a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me to do these things. He could do them all on his own if he chose, but that's not what he chooses to do. Like his father, Jesus sends a people. But he sends them, he sends people like us who have found in him the one sent But he sends us into the world not to do what only he can do, not to be a substitute for for what he can do, but, but to be a kind of people and to relate to one another and to the world around us in such a way that it becomes obvious that something's going on with those folks and what's going on is Jesus. He sends a people to point to Jesus as the one ultimately sent, the one who is good news, who is the hope of the whole world and all of its people. And so here he's praying for his own. He prays for us to be together, to be drawn together, one another, those of us who identify with a particular expression, of his movement, and so certainly within a church, he's calling for us to be together, but then also to be somehow unified, powerfully unified with others uh, who don't immediately identify with us, but who also name Jesus as Lord. He's calling us to somehow be together so, so that what we are, so far as the world can see and determine what we are, is about pointing to Jesus and preparing others for what only Jesus can do. Jesus prays for us. He prays for the sake of the world as he prays for us that we would be one, even one the way somehow in the mystery of God's own 
community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He prays that we would be one as Holy Trinity is one so that the world would see and would understand that Jesus is the one sent. He prays for us to be one so that what the world sees is Jesus in the flesh. Jesus embodied in a community of people who do what no other people on earth do. A body of people, for example, who love each other and forgive each other and show honor and courtesy toward each other. And not only toward each other, but even toward others who who aren't a part of them and who disagree with them and maybe oppose them and abuse them. They're eager to provoke. They're provocative people, but they don't provoke in order to cause trouble, they provoke one another, above all, to a life of Jesus-like love and good works. A people who form an incredible family of care, but not an exclusive, private little club, but rather an incredible family of care that is open and eager for the many others to join them as well. Jesus prays for a unity so that his people do what no other people on earth ever do by nature. So they don't repay evil for evil and curse for curse. They don't fight fire with fire. In fact, it's not really in their nature to fight at all. a people that have been so blessed that what they really want to do is just pour out the blessings that have come to them for the sake of the many others to enjoy. Jesus prays for a a sense of togetherness, a one-anotherness, an interaction among his own for the sake of the world that Jesus was sent to make new, whole, and very good once again. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God would hear Jesus' prayer for his own? Do you think that Jesus' prayer for people like us can move heaven into action? No question. This is a prayer that has been answered. It is even now being answered. It will always be answered. The question is, where are the people who regularly participate in what God does, is doing right now in answer to Jesus' prayer. Who are those people? Where are those people? Jesus prays for us, not for us, but for the world. It is for us, of course, but it's for the world. And of course, we're a part of the world that God so loved that in response, out of his love, he sent Jesus as the one to us, to the world. And perhaps we're a part of the world that already knows this about Jesus and has found Jesus to be the one sent for us. So Jesus prays for us, for the world, so that the world would know that Jesus is the one Jesus is the one who even now is responding. He is responding. He is at work in our world, responding lovingly and powerfully and transformingly to every person, every situation, to every eventuality, to every possibility in ways that God knows best. Jesus is that one. 
So as we close, let me, let me tell you at least some of what I think this means for us now. And again, it's a little surprising. At least I, my best read on this is that it's surprising. Again, it isn't, it isn't what I would expect. You know, some of us, I mean, all of us probably have read this if we've read it and we thought, well, okay, Jesus is saying we've got to stop fighting. Come on, just get along. What, what's the world to think if you're just always in conflict and fighting? Well, you should stop fighting. So knock it off. Get along. I mean, you should do that. But I don't think that's the main point. That's an important point. It's not the main point here, I don't think. Uh, or we read this and we think, well, we should try to get, get along with other people and, and partner with them and do things together because you can do more together than you can on your own. And, and of course, it's very true. You should. I encourage you. It's one of our primary strategies these days as a free Methodist church to partner uh, with as many, to partner strongly and powerfully. But again, I don't think that's the most important thing we can take away from this prayer. Jesus prays this way. Jesus wants us bad enough to die for it to become the kind of people who show the world just by who we are, just by what we're, how we relate, just by what we say or don't say, how we say it, the kind of people who show the world that Jesus is the one sent special delivery from God to be whoever and whatever is necessary for the rescue and restoration and recreation our world so desperately needs. And so, friends, all human longing, including the yearning and the longing that maybe you felt this past week, that sense of incompleteness, that sense that, well, you know, there's got to be more than this. Is this really what it's like? I mean, seriously? All human longing traces to the primal longing only Jesus can meet and fill. He is the one sent special delivery just like that. And he must be the one like that for us. Each of us. And then all of us as we form community and fellowship of his followers. And so we read this prayer and the Holy Spirit of God who inspires it, who made it a part of our scriptures, who energized Jesus as he lifted this prayer originally and is with Jesus as he continues to offer this prayer. The Spirit asks us, is Jesus that one sent for us? Have we found him to be the one sent especially for us and our need who fulfills our longings and our yearnings. The longings, the yearnings, the empty places point you to the one God has sent who can do whatever it is you most need and not only you but the world around you. If we will pursue Jesus like that so that it is all about Jesus, Jesus will work. I mentioned a moment ago as we began the incredible impact of Jesus upon the world. Who could have, who could have known that 
more than 2,000 years ago, this, this baby would be born in some place called Bethlehem, and only a fraction of the world's population has any clue about the significance of Bethlehem, but this baby would be born, and all of subsequent human history is decisively shaped so that people living 2,000 years later can't even, couldn't even conceive of their lives apart from the impact of this one. Do you have faith to believe that if we should continue on, if the human race should, should continue on for another 2,000 years, that 2,000 years from now, the decisive impact, the transformation that God works through the followers of Jesus would be so dramatic, so powerful, that people 2,000 years from now couldn't even imagine their world apart from that impact? If the people Jesus calls to belong to him look to him as that one especially sent, and he is indeed that one for them, Jesus will work. And Jesus will make them, he will make us the kind of people who will have impact. They'll be talking about 2,000 years from now. And it won't happen because of an election. It won't happen through political or other means. It will happen because God is determined to recreate his world, and he does it in his own way. It's surprising, but it is sure and transformingly evident in the world through a people who will look to Jesus, who will receive Jesus as the one especially sent for them. And so we read how it is that Jesus is praying for us even now. And the call of the Spirit as we read his prayer, as we understand that we're entering into, we're always, if Jesus is everywhere, we're always in the middle of a Jesus prayer for us, for the world. And the call to us is to find in Jesus the one sent, especially to you and to me. And then start or continue being the different kind of people because he is that one for us, the different kind of people that he makes us with the others right around us, with your spouse, with your family, with your friends, in your small group, your, your Sunday school group, your fellowship group, and your church. Start being, continue being the different kind of people that Jesus will make you and then see what Jesus will do. It'll be as incredible as he himself is. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that as you are in conversation with your father, you reveal to us how it is. You have been especially sent to us and to our world and how it is through what only you can do, the world can and will be made new again. Lord, have your way. Do what only you can do. Be that one for us so that the world looks at us and is driven to wonder, so is this Jesus? Or maybe to conclude, so this is Jesus. Lord, make it so. We pray in your holy name. Amen.